You're listening to the Nixon Now podcast. I'm Allie Fitzgerald-Smith. This podcast is brought to you by the Richard Nixon Foundation. We are broadcasting from the Charlie and Ling Zhang studio at the Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. In his 1970 State of the Union address, President Nixon said, the great question of the 1970s is, shall we surrender to our surroundings or shall we make peace with nature and begin to make reparations for the damage we have done to our air, to our land, and to our water? Fifty years ago, a few short months after that address, President Nixon established the Environmental Protection Agency. This week, we begin a new three-part series examining President Nixon's environmental legacy and the lasting environmental achievements of the Nixon administration. This podcast series parallels an all-new permanent exhibit at the Nixon Library called The President and the Planet. Joining us again for this series is Bob Bostock, the author of The President and the Planet exhibit. Bob, thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Allie, and it's a particular pleasure for me to be able to talk about President Nixon's environmental record because I spent two and a half years at the United States Environmental Protection Agency working as the chief speechwriter for Governor Christy Whitman when she headed that agency and spent a little over three years at the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection uh, in their communication shop. So the environment is an issue that is very close to my heart, and I'm glad to help bring attention to President Nixon's outstanding record on the environment. And when were you working at the EPA? Around what time period? I was at the EPA from uh, 2001 until uh, September of, of 2003. Okay. So in the first George W. Bush administration. Great. Well, we're definitely happy to have you join us and um, your expertise is going to be very enlightening throughout this series. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the exhibit and how long you've been working on this exhibit? Um, and just sort of how it came together on this end? Uh, sure. This exhibit is a fascinating exhibit, and I think it's the only one of its type at any presidential library because it's outside. It's on the grounds of the library, near the reflecting pool and through the gardens and on the ground. So as people walk the beautiful grounds of the Nixon Library, they'll be able to learn about President Nixon's remarkable achievement of environmental protection. It is a uh, in a way, very interactive. It's got sculptures that help illustrate some of the achievements of the Nixon years. It has uh, things for uh, kids to kind of hunt. There's a, more than a dozen uh, footprints of animals that have been saved by the Endangered Species Act that kids can look for and try and identify which animal's uh, footprint that is. And it just is a, it's just a great way to be outside, which is how we enjoy the environment most often and learn about the president's amazing legacy. We've been working on this exhibit, my gosh, for most of the, most of 2020. Um, Heather Brainerd has done, she did an amazing job kind of conceiving this outdoor exhibit and working with the uh, sculptors and the designers to figure out a way to lay this out so that it doesn't dominate the landscape, but rather is a part of the landscape in a way that I think is very, very effective. We were honored to open, open the exhibit on the 50th anniversary of the signing of the uh, bill, and we opened that in a virtual ceremony, and you can watch that entire ceremony at nixonfoundation.org. It features panel discussions and um, participation from members of the Nixon family and a lot of great content regarding this new exhibit. And again, you can watch that entire virtual opening ceremony at nixonfoundation.org. 
Bob, as we noted at the opening, President Nixon spoke strongly about the importance of action on the environment in his 1970 State of the Union address. That was a little over one year after his inauguration. In 1969, did President Nixon run on an environmental platform? Well, interestingly, in the 1968 election, the major issues that the candidates were talking about were the war in Vietnam, uh, crime in the streets, and civil rights. And the environment did not rise up to a major issue during that campaign. But interestingly, when President Nixon gave his first inaugural address on January 20th, 1969, he did include a mention of the importance of protecting and preserving and restoring our environment. And although it wasn't a lengthy passage in the speech, it was actually the first time in American history that any president mentioned the environment and the need to protect it in his inaugural address. So it kicked off really what became an enormously productive five and a half year period during the Nixon presidency to protect the environment. And there was an oil spill in Santa Barbara in 1969. Uh, is that correct? Yes, on January 28, 1969, there was this huge oil spill off the coast of Santa Barbara that caught the attention of, of the entire country. California, of course, is very proud of its beautiful coastline. Uh, all those miles of coastline, so many of them still pristine and clean, and you can see marine mammals off them, and they're great places to surf and swim. This oil spill off the coast of Santa Barbara and the oil coming up onto the beach, uh, hurting uh, waterfowl, hurting marine mammals, really caught the nation's attention. President Nixon had only been in office nine days when this occurred, and he he flew out from Washington back to California to inspect it personally and to see the damage that had been done. And as he was inspecting this damage, he made a statement that I think uh, really cemented the fact that this was an issue that he was going to care about. He said, I don't think we have paid enough attention to this. And by this, he meant protecting the environment. And then he went on, we are going to do a better job than we have done in the past. And he lived up to that pledge every day of his administration. The Nixon administration did a better job than any administration prior in terms of protecting our environment. So that happened eight days after the inaugural address when he was the first president to mention the environment. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what the environment generally was like in the 1960s and um, this time period? Um, in the State of the Union address, he said we could choose to surrender to our surroundings. Was the environment or pollution generally an issue that plagued Americans, everyday Americans at the time? It really was. I mean, from coast to coast, the quality of the air was terrible. I can remember um, as a kid uh, growing up outside of New York City, going into the city, and you'd spend the day in New York and you'd come home and your fingernails were all black underneath from the from the uh, smog or the air pollution. Uh, the collar of your shirt would be black from the air pollution. I mean, it looked like you had, you know, gone climbing through some dirt pile or something. The air was so bad. And certainly in the uh, Los Angeles basin, uh, the air quality was terrible. The skies were brown more often than they were blue. Uh, the unique geography of the LA basin would trap all the exhaust from the automobiles kind of in there and, and be very difficult for it to move. We literally had 
rivers spontaneously combusting. The Cuyahoga River uh, in Cleveland one day just caught fire because of all the pollution that was in the was in the river. Uh, you you could go fishing, but you were urged not to eat the fish because of all the toxins that they had ingested. Factories were dumping their uh, waste directly into rivers and streams without any effort to clean them up. Land was being treated in the same way. Um, in, industrial facilities would just dump their stuff right on the land without any concern about how it could leach into the groundwater, pollute drinking water supplies. The environment was in really, really rough shape uh, in the 60s. Really bad. What did uh, the environmentalist movement look like at this time, or was there one at all? Well, the environmentalist movement really started to pick up steam in 1962 when Rachel Carson wrote a book called Silent Spring. And this, in her book, in, in Carson's book, she talked about the use of pesticides and herbicides uh, all over the country that were causing the death and, and harming the reproductive abilities of birds of every sort. Uh, the one that was the most prominent really in people's minds were bald eagles. Bald eagles were endangered severely because of the use of a chemical called DDT. The birds would ingest, uh, you know, the uh, bald eagles, they catch fish. The fish were living in waters that were polluted from the runoff of DDT on agricultural land and other lands. The, the eagles would eat those fish, they'd get DDT in their system. And the effect it was having on bald eagles was it made their uh, shells, when they would lay an egg, the shells were so weak and thin that the uh, eagles could not successfully incubate them. They would sit on the eggs and the eggs would break. So, uh, you know, the next generation of bald eagles was being wiped out because of the use of DDT. So Carson's book really started to raise people's awareness uh, through the 60s that this was a big problem. But Government, until really the Nixon administration, was not as quick to act as perhaps it should have been uh, to start addressing these problems. Eight days after his inauguration, a major ecological disaster brings the issue to focus for many Americans, and President Nixon vows to act. What are his first steps? He immediately began to pull together uh, scientists, engineers, and others to start analyzing how did we get into this situation and what would what would we need to do to correct the decades of damage that had been done to the environment. Uh, for instance, to deal with the issue of clean air, he called on Arnold Beckman, who, uh, who leaves an amazing legacy uh, because of, he's, he's one of the people who identified the fact that the major cause of the smog in the Los Angeles area was not factories as most people assumed, but it was actually the exhaust from cars. And, and of course, LA is a very car-centric city uh, and was even more so back in the 1960s. And Beckman was able to uh, lead a task force that President Nixon had put together on clean air. He also developed the equipment that uh, could be used to check the emissions from cars to see of what was what was coming out of the tailpipe, and I my understanding is that that equipment, with some modifications over the years and improvements, is still basically the equipment that is used across the country to measure exhaust from uh, automobile tailpipes. Uh, he also started to uh, put the White House staff 
together to start looking at these issues. Uh, John Ehrlichman, who was the president's domestic policy advisor, uh, who came from the Seattle area, was very interested in the environment. He did a great deal to uh, push the White House staff to look at things that could be done uh, at the federal level, what steps needed to be taken to improve the environment. And the even in that first year, he really uh, brought the focus of uh, the White House staff and the federal government to what do we need to do to reverse the course that we have been on that has led to things like the Santa Barbara oil spill or the dirty air in American cities or rivers spontaneously combusting. And we have noted in the exhibit that on January 1st of 1970, in his first official act as president for the year and the first official act of the decade, President Nixon signed the Environmental Policy Act, uh, which was really a groundwork. He did indeed. In fact, that act is, the, is still the foundation on which the nation's environmental laws and regulations are built. And it's, it's remarkable, in less than a year after taking office, uh, the National Environmental Policy Act, which uh, is referred to usually as NEPA, uh, was put together, kind of, you know, created almost from the ground up. There was nothing like it before this in less than a year. The bill, uh, a bill was created, it was passed by the Congress, the president was able to sign it on the first day of 1970. Uh, it was his, and he made a point of making this, this was his first official act of the new decade of the 1970s. And that act kicked off really uh, one of the most, uh, not one of the most, that, that act kicked off the most productive era of uh, environmental legislation and regulation in the nation's history. It was a bipartisan effort. Uh, as, as you look through the legislative history of the various uh, laws that were enacted under President Nixon and then under his successor, President Ford, President Carter, all the way through the first President Bush, you can see broad bipartisan support for the vast majority of those efforts. And that was really uh, NEPA, that National Environmental Policy Act was, was the foundation of all of the things that we now think of as environmental protection. NEPA was just the beginning. It was absolutely just the beginning. I mean, he has, you know, if you look at the list of bills that uh, became law uh, under under the Nixon administration that he was able to sign, he, he created the Environmental Protection Agency, the first time pulling together all of the various parts of the, of, uh, the federal government that were spread across more than six different departments and agencies into one agency, uh, created NOAA, the National Oceanic, Oceanographic and uh, Atmospheric Administration, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, Marine Mammal Protection Act, the list goes on and on over the next really 20 years of uh, putting together a list of the laws that still form the basis of our efforts to protect the environment here in the United States. And if you look at the conditions of the environment in 1969 and 1970 versus the conditions today, it's, it's night and day. Um, we no longer, you know, our air is so much easier and cleaner to breathe and so much healthier to breathe. Uh, the land is so much better protected. The waters, of the, uni waters across the United States, rivers, lakes, streams, our ocean waters are so much cleaner than they were back in 1970. And that is all part of the Nixon legacy. Next week's episode, we'll be discussing President Nixon, Nixon's many legislative achievements in this arena in more detail. 
But to close out this episode, I think we should talk a little bit more about the exhibit and how what we've covered today is reflected in the new um, EPA exhibit, standing permanent exhibit at the Nixon Library. Well, I hope that when uh, museums are able to open up again, once this pandemic passes or we have it under control, that visitors will be able to uh, come to the library and see this exhibit because it really is unique among all of the presidential libraries. Because it not only is a, an exhibit about policy that's outside, it is also an exhibit that I think is going to attract the attention of uh, school children, everybody on up, because the environmental legacy of President Nixon is one that is not really widely known. So I think a lot of people are really going to be surprised at just how much uh, he was able to accomplish. But as you walk and, and visitors, what, what will, they will do is that when they're done going through the permanent exhibit galleries inside, they'll exit into the colonnade that leads out to the birthplace and the, and the grave site and the beautiful First Lady's Garden and the Pat Nixon Amphitheater. And as they walk down the colonnade, there are these panels that have wonderful photographs and brief text, um, no more than 100 words on each one, I know, because I had to write that. And, and writing this great story, you know, 100 words at a time uh, is a bit of a challenge. But people will be able to go through, get a quick uh, look at what the president did, why he did it. And then as they've and as they exit the colonnade and walk through the gardens and through the past, they'll come across at the front entrance to the birthplace, for instance, right across the path from there, this fabulous sculpture of a grizzly bear that um, is one of the animals that's been saved by the Endangered Species Act. And with the grizzly bear is this, this little fox and this tiny little butterfly that were also saved by that piece of legislation by that law. And as you go through and then walk further down by the reflecting pool, it's this great sculpture of a, of a bald eagle. There are, as I mentioned, those footprints cast in concrete. And then at the end of the reflecting pool nearest to the building is this fabulous sculpture across the wall that shows many of the marine mammals, most of which are familiar to uh, Californians and visitors to California. Uh, to make the point of, again, these are animals that were protected by the Marine Mammal Protection Act, which President Nixon signed in 1972. So it's going to be a great, it is, and when people get to see it, they will see for themselves, a great way to educate and inform people about the environment actually in the environment, and in a way that I think is very engaging, that will, uh, as I said, keep the attention and the interest of everybody who goes through, whether they're children in elementary school, all the way up to uh, folks who are retired and and uh, are learning really for the first time about the Nixon legacy on the environment. One of the things that was most striking to me when I first got the chance to walk through the exhibit is that it's highlighted and it's noted throughout the exhibit that the grounds in which these um, memorials are on these statues are the same grounds that served as President Nixon's backyard to his boyhood home. Um, and how that might have impacted his perception of the environment growing up as a native Californian. Could you speak to that a little? Absolutely. Um, when, when the young Richard Nixon uh, lived in Yorba Linda from 1913, when he was born, obviously, uh, until about the age of nine, so that would put it till about 1922, the, where the library is now was part of the Nixon family home. You know, the birthplace is still restored, but there, was, uh, there were citrus groves, there um, that that 
President Nixon's father or Richard Nixon's father uh, was growing. Uh, the, the president would say later, you know, it wasn't the most successful uh, lemon ranch in Southern California, so they, they eventually moved to Whittier. But he spent so much time, as kids did back then, outdoors. Uh, those, anyone who's been through the birthplace knows it's a pretty modest place and, and you know, you've got a lot of people in a small space and you've got that beautiful California weather right outside your door, you're going to spend most of your time outdoor, outdoors, exploring nature, um, you know, going through the fields, going into, into the undeveloped areas that uh, Yorba Linda was like. Anyone who's seen photographs of Yorba Linda in the early part of the 20th century would, would find it very hard to believe that it was ever as undeveloped and as pristine and open as it was um, only about a hundred years ago, but that time spent outdoors and, uh, you know, traveling to parks and going down to the ocean and everything else as a, as a young uh, child and, and then as a young man really impressed upon Richard Nixon, the beauty of the environment and also how being out in nature really helps to restore and recharge one's uh, physical and emotional uh, batteries. So I think that uh, growing up in that atmosphere in what was a very rural place uh, with access to the wonders and beauties of nature literally right outside your front door um, is something that he carried with him his entire life. Both President and Mrs. Nixon, native Californians, and both very passionate about preserving the environment in which they had grown up in. Absolutely. Mrs. Nixon had the same experience. She grew up on a farm in um, Artesia, uh, which I believe is now called Cerritos, uh, same thing. They love to go down to the beach. They love to take hikes. Uh, she was working very hard as a young woman, but when she did have leisure time, and that was true of Mr. Nixon as well, they both worked really hard as young people helping out their families. But when they had leisure time, what they did is they went and spent time in nature to, uh, to appreciate the, the beauty of nature in California. It's such a beautiful state and what a great place to grow up in in the early part of the 20th century with all of that nature, as I said a moment ago, literally right outside your front door. At the time of this recording, the President and the Planet exhibit, as well as all museum visitor spaces, are closed to the public due to COVID-19. However, we hope to welcome you back to explore this new permanent exhibit very soon. For the latest updates, please follow us on social media at Nixon Foundation or visit us at our website, nixonfoundation.org. Thank you for listening to the Nixon Now podcast. Our guest today was Bob Bostock, the author of The President and the Planet, a new permanent exhibit at the Nixon Library. Please subscribe to the podcast and tune in next week for the second installment in this series.